Um, this weekend, I want to speak to you uh, about Jesus outside of Jericho. And, you know, I want to talk about two very uh, um, well-known accounts in the Bible. The first is the healing of blind Bartimaeus, and then the second is the calling of uh, Zacchaeus. And the thing about this is whenever we talk about these two accounts, we talk about them separately. We might preach about blind Bartimaeus or we might preach about Zacchaeus, but we never kind of look at these two uh, as um, events that happen that are connected. And the thing is this, the truth is that these two accounts are deeply connected to one another. And I believe scriptures uh, is written such that God intended for us to read these two accounts in conjunction and not separately. You see, one occurred as Jesus was making his way towards Jericho, while the other as he exits from the same city en route to Jerusalem. Now, the parallels between these two incidents are uncanny and clearly intentional so that the divine may convey a single clear message to us through these two events. So instead of reading them as separate and unrelated records of what Jesus did or the miracles that he performed, we need to learn to read them in conjunction with each other and then to begin to see that there's a much more comprehensive and specific message that God is wanting to convey to us through these two accounts. So let me begin by first taking us through these two events. And I not only want to outline what exactly happened, but also to point out a few very important details that we most likely would have missed simply because we are not Jewish in our background. But in noticing these details, it will add so much more context and richness and depth to our understanding and enable us to see what the Lord is really trying to drive Towards when he uh, when these things are recorded for us. So uh, thanks to the media department, I've got this amazing diagram I want to show you. I didn't draw it. I just told them to uh, draw it. Okay, so it's it's uh, wonderful, and you'll help take us through what is happening. Now Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and in the process, he was going to go through the city of Jericho. Now as he was approaching the city of Jericho, perhaps a few miles before he entered the city, the people, the crowds were gathered, and it was in this context, uh, uh, going towards Jericho, that he entered encountered blind Bartimaeus. And this is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 35. And through a series of exchanges with Bartimaeus, Jesus heals him. He receives his sight, wonderful miracle. And then he enters the city of Jericho. We're told that in the city of Jericho, there's a man called Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, not just any tax collector, the chief tax collector. And he sought to see Jesus, but he could not. And that's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 3. Now, I want to pause for a moment because there are a few things that we need to note at this point. Now, based on the customs of the days of Jesus and of the Jewish culture in those days, the people of Jericho would have prepared a banquet for the Lord and would have also expected Jesus to have stayed in Jericho in order to reciprocate the hospitality that would have been shown. Now, we all understand this, especially when we go on the mission field, right? If people know that there are guests coming, they would usually prepare a meal for us and they would want us to stay around for the meal and that is exactly how Jewish culture would be. But the funny thing is this, Jesus does not stay and he does not reciprocate the hospitality. Instead, he leaves Jericho. And we know this because in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, we're told that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, at the same time, we're told that Zacchaeus, at this point, climbs a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Sycamore trees are not allowed to be grown within cities and towns in Israel. 
The Jewish law dictated that trees generally had to be planted outside of city, cities and specifically for the sycamore tree, the rule was that it could not be planted within 50 cubits out of, of, of the city walls. Okay? In other words, the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed was at least 22 meters away from the city. At least. Okay? In other words, Zacchaeus ran out of the city of Jericho, went ahead of Jesus towards the direction of Jerusalem, sees the sycamore tree, climbs it in order to see Jesus. And here's something interesting about the sycamore tree. It is a very large tree. It is not a small tree. It is not some little brush or something like that. But it is a huge tree with low-hanging branches that is extremely leafy. This tells us two things. Firstly, it is low-hanging branches, so it's easy for, for Zacchaeus to climb it because Zacchaeus was short, okay? The second thing that is even more revealing is that this is a very leafy tree. In other words, Zacchaeus climbed the tree. He wanted to see Jesus, but he did not want to be seen, right? And the sycamore tree with its leafiness afforded him some form of a hiddenness because he did not desire either to be spotted by Jesus or he did not want to be spotted by the people that were around Jesus because the tree would hopefully disguise Zacchaeus' somewhat undignified state of having to climb a tree in order to overcome his shortness to see Jesus. And not just that, there's definitely a huge amount of hostility towards this man and he did not want to be caught in the midst of this crowd. And yet it was at this point that Jesus stopped exactly where the tree was, looked up and called out to Zacchaeus on seeing Zacchaeus and most definitely the hostility of the crowd towards Zacchaeus. Jesus then decides to say to Zacchaeus, he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house and stay there for the night. So think about this. In other words, what's happening is this. Jesus already decided he wasn't going to stay in Jericho, but now he spuns the hospitality of the crowd picks an outcast, an unclean person, a chief sinner, turns around and decides to go back into the city of Jericho, not to enjoy the hospitality of the city, but to enter the unclean house of Zacchaeus, eat polluted food of Zacchaeus, and go on to bring salvation to his whole household. This is what happened in these two events. It was controversy. Controversy. It upset the whole city. It was not something that was just about two events, a healing and a calling of the backslidden Christians. There is so much more to these two accounts when we begin to weave them together and see that they are actually a single account in the Word of God. Not only that, I want to show us the parallels between these two men, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, because there's so much uh, convergence and divergence as well uh, between these two men. Firstly, Bartimaeus. The name of Bartimaeus means son of filth. I mean, who would name their child son of filth unless you came from a really, really bad background? And Zacchaeus, on the other hand, came from a very well-to-do background. His name means pure and clean, the opposite of each other. Bartimaeus is oppressed. Zacchaeus was the oppressor. Bartimaeus was poor. Zacchaeus was rich. Bartimaeus is handicapped by blindness. Zacchaeus is handicapped by shortness, okay? I'm just looking at Pastor Elijah. I'm just kidding. I'm looking at Pastor Sharon as well. <laughs> Bartimaeus encountered Jesus outside of Jericho and so did Zacchaeus and he encountered Jesus outside of Jericho. Bartimaeus tried to catch the attention of Jesus and Zacchaeus tried to hide from Jesus. Both were rejected by the crowd and both experienced salvation from the Lord. 
Now, instead of considering these as two separate accounts, if we begin to consider them as connected events, then I want to point out several things to us because these details that converge as well as diverge, they begin to show us exactly what Jesus wants to communicate to us. Maybe we've read these two accounts all these years and we thought to ourselves, hey, it's just about the miracle, about healing of a blind man. Maybe it's just about how God is going after the, the backslidden and calling them. But I want to tell you it's much more than that. Maybe we've misunderstood these two accounts because we've not seen them together. So I want to point out a few things. Number one is that we got to become receptive to Jesus. You see, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus um, could not be more different in their background. Their names were complete opposite meanings. Bartimaeus uh, was called son of filth. Zacchaeus was called pure, clean. It means that their cess was completely different. Their social economic background. Bartimaeus was poor, represented the oppressed, and found himself on the receiving end of injustice and of being an outcast. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, was the epitome of the oppressor. He exacted harsh treatment of his people, was hated by everyone. He probably went knocking on people's door, intimidated them, extorted money from them, threatened them, you know? And, and so Bartimaeus here was, you know, Bartimaeus was considered an irritant and eyesore, but Zacchaeus was hated and despised by his own people. Yet the thing that threats these two men together was the fact that both of them exhibited a thirst to encounter Jesus. The text in the scriptures, you know, indicated curiosity in both men when they first heard that Jesus is coming. They were curious. They wanted to see Jesus, right? They wanted to encounter the Lord. But let me tell you this, their curiosity extended beyond mere novel interest because they both began to take drastic actions in order to get closer to Jesus. Bartimaeus was blind. He could not see. He could not pushed through the crowd. And so in order to attract the attention of Jesus, he began to shout at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Amen. Can you imagine what that means? Can you imagine coming to church maybe next week and there's somebody in our crowd that is so hungry for Jesus that he begins to shout from the beginning of the worship service to the end, Jesus, I need you. Imagine what they would do. Imagine how we would react to that person we will probably get quite irritated by the person and ask, you know, hey, security, can you bring this person to a room somewhere, right? But that's what, and that's what the crowd did, you see. And at the same time, there is Zacchaeus who went through the indignity of dashing ahead of Jesus and climbing a tree in order to lay eyes on Christ. Let me say this, okay? In those days, they didn't wear pants like ours. They didn't have running shoes like ours. They wore flowing robes and, and but, uh, you know, Zacchaeus had to be very undignified to pull his robes up and then to run <laughs> and then to climb a tree up, right? I mean, it was highly, you know, undignified and it wasn't seen to be proper for grown men and respectable men to do something like that. And of course, Zacchaeus had to um, endure the animosity of the crowd. What we need to realize from this is that Jesus sees beyond the crowd and he notices faces and he knows names and he sees to every person that has a hunger and a thirst for him. Amen. And this is the assurance that we have that, you know, that we can sit in a crowd like this. But if there is a cry in our hearts, then Jesus is going to see that cry. Amen. And that's what it takes. It takes something for us to do to attract the attention of Jesus. But on the other hand, what, you know, what if we put ourselves in the shoes of the crowd? How do we perceive people? 
Do we see with the eyes of Jesus? Do we see Bartimaeus as an irritant? We ask them to keep quiet. Or do we see Zacchaeus as somebody who's totally against the faith, who's persecuting Christians, and we reject them completely? Do we have eyes the way Jesus sees? Can we, you know, can, are we caught up with the noise, the excitement? Or can we rise above that and see that there are Bartimaeuses and Zacchaeuses that are, not, that are all around us? Amen? That's the first thing. The second is that the solution is different for each person. Bartimaeus was healed from his blindness while Zacchaeus made a turnaround in his life. And there are a few interesting things that we need to notice. In the case of Bartimaeus, Jesus posed a somewhat blunt question at him. And he says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? I always thought about this question. I said, man, Jesus, you're asking the obvious. Who's blind here? You know, the blind man comes to you. What do you think he wants? He wants to be healed of his blindness. But then over the years, as a pastor, as I began to counsel people, I realized that this question that Jesus asked was a very necessary question. Because when we begin to counsel people with their issues, I realized that people want to be relieved from the pain of their problems, but they don't want to deal with the thing that caused the problem in the first place. When you counsel somebody who's in debt, they want their debts to be eradicated. They say, God, give me a miracle but they don't want to deal with what caused that debt in the first place. When you pray for people for healing, they say, Lord, I want to be relieved from my pain. I want to be healed. But they don't want to change the lifestyle that caused that sickness and disease in the first place. When you pray for marriages, they want marriages to be restored, but they don't want to deal with the first thing that caused the issue. You see, people want, the, want, they, they want a solution. They want to get out of the pain, but they don't want to deal with the things that originally caused it. Think about this. What would Bartimaeus be doing on his daily life? Perhaps he has to, you know, he, he probably doesn't wake up very early because, hey, if you're a beggar, you go at prime time, right? The mall's not yet open yet. You don't, you don't go, you don't show up at seven o'clock in the mall because there's nobody around to back from, right? So maybe he wakes up at 10, maybe he wakes up at 11, maybe he goes at a time which is prime where the crowds are there so that he can back. He can, you know, somebody, you know, can, you know guides him along. He sits down there the whole day and he calls out, charity, charity for me, please. And Jewish culture is such that there is charity built within the culture and people would drop coins off. Maybe they'll drop a new set of clothes for him every three months or six months. I don't know. It's not that difficult. But think about this. The moment he's healed from his blindness, guess what? He can no longer sit in a corner begging. He's got to start learning to wake up early. He got to, he's got to learn a new skill. He's got to start working and providing for himself, which is why Jesus asked that question. It was a simple question. Do you want charity or do you want to get healed? And maybe it's a question that we need to ask ourselves concerning our problems. Do we want charity? Do we want a little eye soft, you know, a little ointment to soothe the pain? Or do we really want to get out of our problems and deal with the issues there? And so this is an incredibly important question that Jesus asked. You see, the, the question that he, the Lord asked made perfect sense. But then when you come to the case of Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't ask him any questions at all, Right? Instead, Jesus just calls to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't even looking to be spotted by Christ. And the Lord comes and He gives Zacchaeus dignity, honour in the most extravagant and lavish manner, which is to go to his house and to become his guest. Jesus invited Himself to Zacchaeus' house. Notice this, before that, Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't condemn Zacchaeus for being who he was. And let me tell you, he was a horrible person. He was a horrible person. He perverted justice. He lied in the courts. He brought false accusations. He put people in chains. 
in bondage, in debt. He took away their homes. He was, some, he was a person like that and yet Jesus never condemned him. Jesus never even asked him to repent, never re- reprimanded him, never required him to repent or to, you know, uh, to commit full restitution for the things that he's stolen. All Jesus did you know, was to love him and say, hey, I'm going to give you honour and dignity. And in the midst of this, Jesus incurred the wrath of the crowd and the populace of Jericho and they say, how can Jesus be a guest to this horrible person? And yet the end result is that Zacchaeus turned around. He repented and he committed to fulfill full restitution for all the things that he has stolen. You see, the approach that Jesus took with both men are completely different. With one, he drew out a deeper response to ask him, do you really want to change? On the other, Jesus didn't ask anything. He just knew what that man needed. You know, I shared this before, you know, uh, you know, when, uh, with our oldest boy, we had pro- some problems in him, with him when he was about 15 years old, sex free, right? And I, I remember in that year, we got called, um, you know, just about every other week, you know, we got a call, every month we got a call from the school to complain about Aaron, you know? Uh, we got called to school a few times, you know, I don't want to exaggerate this, not every month, but a couple of times, you know? And I remember one of the final times that we were called to school, and it was terrible. They said, we need to meet both of you. So uh, my wife and I, we went down and we were not meeting one teacher. We we're meeting three teachers, a vice uh, principal, the head of the department, as well as his form teacher, okay? And in that, in, in that meeting, right, the whole thing was that we wanted Aaron to drop one of his subjects, but the school said, no, he cannot. He has to still take the exam. He has to, you know, and, um, you know, and then they explained to us why. They basically said to us, hey, Aaron's not going to make it. He's going to get retained for the year. He's going to fail. He had 17 assignments due in two weeks that has not been done yet, okay? And, and I remember when I sat there listening to teachers, they made perfect sense. Everything they said was correct. Aaron was horrible. <laughs> and I kind of looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, you're right, you're right. No, you make perfect sense. And then, you know, after I finished talking, my wife started talking. And I'm telling you, I don't know what came over Wendy. She became the most unreasonable person, Right? And she just said, no, I think you should give Aaron what he wants. You should let him drop his subject. Why do you make him do this? Why do you make him do that? Why do... And she just, she just sounded like the most unreasonable mother, like those parents that could be that gave uh, nightmares to all the teachers, okay? And she just went and the teachers, she was went on like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and she just wouldn't let go. Last night I shared in the service, you know, she was like a bulldog that, you know, clung to the hand and whatnot. And then a few people came up to her and said, hey, Wendy, bulldog, bulldog, you know? So when he said, today you don't tell that I bulldog, right? but I already said. <laughs> Sis, sister bulldog? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Persistent, okay? So now it's uh, on record permanently on the stream, you know? But at the end, of, you know, and I remember this moment, okay, she's going at it, you know, um, and she wasn't going to let go. Then suddenly Aaron came and he stretched his hands, touched his, uh, his mom's uh, arm, you know? And then she said to my wife, he said, mom, it's okay. Never mind. Let it go. You know? And then she stopped. We went out of the office and I said to when I said, when what on earth? What came over you? You're so illogical. How can you say things like that? You know? And why are you doing this? And then Wendy said this to me. She said, you know, I just want Aaron to know that I will fight for, her, for him. And it was like lights came on for me and I knew that that was it. That was what God needed to do in Aaron's life. And the funny thing is, after that, Aaron began to change. He began to make a turnaround in his life. And by the way, he cleared the exams that year, you know, and he managed to make it to sec four, okay? 
And the whole thing I want to say is this, that we got to hear from God what is it that He's saying to us. You know, um, you guys know that I, I don't dream, okay, hardly. Not because I don't sleep, I sleep, okay. And, uh, and the other thing that you know is that I don't sing, okay, because nobody gets blessed when I sing, you know. But, you know, uh, Saturday, yesterday morning, you know, I woke up and there was this vivid dream I had. And in the dream, I was sitting on the lap of Father God. And God said to me, He says, um, you know, Lip, I, I, wanna, I want you to uh, sing a new song to me. You know, and I remember sitting on Father God's lap and this new song came out of my mouth. And it was about the Holy Spirit. And it was just a simple phrase, you know, and just saying about how good the Holy Spirit is. And I want to say this Holy Spirit has been given to, to, to us. And, and sometimes the things that we need when it comes to talking to the people around us, we just need to say, Holy Spirit, show me what I need to do. Show, Holy Spirit, show. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over, you know, don't prepare what you're going to say. But in the right moment, Holy Spirit will show you what to say, what to do. And I want to suggest this, this is what it is. Jesus didn't have a, a single method for every person that he met. Right? He didn't shout to everybody, repent or go to hell. Right? Sometimes he did, but he didn't do that all the time. He knew exactly what was needed for each person and we need to learn to have that as well. The third point I want to bring to us, which I feel is the most important thing, is the response of the crowd. You see, you know, there is the crowd, there's Bartimaeus and there's Zacchaeus. You know, the first response of the crowd towards Bartimaeus was anger and animosity. This is Luke 18 verse 39. And the same with Zacchaeus. They didn't like Zacchaeus, Luke 19 verse 3. The second response to Bartimaeus was a rejoicing. I mean, it was a complete different response. This is Luke 18, 43. But Zacchaeus, even when he turned around, the crowd's anger was still aroused against him in Luke 19, 7. You see, in the case of Bartimaeus, the crowd that was initially hostile to Bartimaeus, making, you know, that he was making a scene, when he got healed, the crowds joined Bartimaeus in praising God. Right? Once he got healed. Because let me tell you this, okay? Who doesn't love a miracle? No matter how irritating the person is, if that person was blind and God opened his eyes in front of all of us, all of us are going to join in that rejoicing. Amen? Right? And you know, but with Zacchaeus, it's completely different. After he turned around, after he promised to change, after he promised to, uh, to fulfill restitution, the crowd was still upset. There was no indication that the crowd rejoiced over the salvation of this man. You see, the concluding statement that Jesus made is this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is the point. This is the focal point. Now, this statement leaves us without any doubts as to what Jesus' aim was. But I tell you this, it leaves us completely in the dark as to how to determine who is worthy it gives us no clarity about who he is seeking, except that he's seeking those who are lost. Amen? In other words, you cannot look at people and judge this person is worthy or that person is not worthy. Because that's what the crowd did. The crowd in the end judged Bartimaeus to be worthy, but they did not consider Zacchaeus to be worthy. You see, the crowd was very welcoming to Jesus at first, isn't it? You know, they tried, you know, they, they welcomed him, they prepared something for him. And when Jesus healed Bartimaeus, they were... They were ecstatic. Jesus is exactly whom we've heard him to be. The rumors are true. The news are correct. Jesus is the great miracle healer. I mean, what a dramatic moment that opened the way for Jesus coming into the city of Jericho. But let me say this. The first sign that Jesus isn't quite what they think he is 
happen when Jesus walks into the city and he decides, I'm not staying. But Jesus, we prepared all this for you. I'm not staying. And he walks off. Crowd was offended. Worse still, he comes to the sycamore tree, looks at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. By this time, the crowd said, hey, this, is, this can't be the Messiah. This can't be the Jesus we're hearing about. How can he go to this man's place? How can he reject the hospitality of this whole city and choose to go to a sinner's house? Now, I want to contextualize this for us in the most unsanitized manner possible. Can you imagine if Jesus is walking on the earth today and he says and he announced on his itinerary, in two and a half weeks' time, Formula One is coming. No, Formula One is not coming to Singapore. They're going to cancel Formula One. And Jesus is coming. And guess what? Jesus is going to come. He's going to land on flight SQ428. So what does the church do? Jesus is coming. You know what we'll do? We'll take the national stadium. 50, 60,000 people will start saturating the, you know, the, the whole city with flyers. We'll plan this, we'll plan that. We'll have a big banquet for Jesus when He arrives. We'll throw this big dinner. We'll do a fundraising for Jesus' ministry so He can go preach all over the world. You know, and then we'll have a five-day crusade in the National Stadium. We'll book Him in the best room, the suite in the Raffles Hotel because I'm telling you, there are a lot of rich Christians around here and they would love to put Jesus up in a nice hotel. Wouldn't it be? And then Jesus lands two and a half weeks later, flight you know, on the flight, he walks out and he says, Jesus, we got all this planned for you. And he says, no, I'm not coming for your crusade. What? We spent $2 million. You're not coming for our crusade. How can? And then we say, we got Raffles Hotel. For you. No, I, I, don't, I don't want to stay there. I'm going to go and book a little, I'm going to go to Hotel uh, 88 in Geylang. 81 in Geylang, sorry. How come you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. And then he says, oh Jesus, we got this, uh, you know, fundraising dinner. Uh, no, I'm not going. I'm going to Orchard Towers. What, what if Jesus did all that? Because I'm telling you, there's something consistent in, our, in the Word of God. You read your Gospels very carefully. Jesus always confounded the belief system of the religious and there is no way for us to consider anything else except for the fact that when Jesus comes to our city, he, the most offended community will be the Christian community. Yeah, you, me. We would be the most disgusted with Jesus. We'll be the most offended with Jesus. Because that's so consistent. 100% of the time in the Bible, that's exactly what happened. Because we prepare all these things and Jesus doesn't want any of these things. Right? But that's the thing. That's the point. That's what I want to drive to us today. Because the crowd is of particular interest to us because they constitute the numerical majority of this whole episode. Maybe there are moments where we find ourselves like blind Bartimaeus in a place of desperate need. Maybe there are times where we wander away from God and there's someone that will become somebody like Zacchaeus and we need desperately to come back to Jesus. But most of the time, let me tell you this, we dwell in the realm of this crowd that is around with Jesus who sees the miracle, who sees the calling of the prodigal sons and the prodigal children of God back to Him. And yet we miss the point of what Jesus is really about. You see, the real target or audience of this two 
encounters where there's the blind Bartimaeus and there is Zacchaeus, they are not the issue at hand. They are not the focal point of these two accounts. We preach about Bartimaeus, we preach about Zacchaeus, but that's not whom Jesus is really wanting us to see. Jesus wants us to see the crowd because most of us are found in the crowd. And He's talking to us. He's speaking to us. The lesson of the crowd is the most important lesson here because what Jesus is trying to do with these two accounts, one outside of Jericho as He's coming in and one on the other side of Jericho is to form a boundary to frame a single picture and a single theme that Jesus is here to seek and to save the lost and we got to see it. Amen. We got to realize that. We got to think about how is our life structured our life structure is our spirituality structured in such a manner that there's no more inclusion of the non-Christians. We spend so much time huddling inside the four walls of the church, within the walls of our cell group, that we've not had enough time on the outside of those places. Hello. I, I did a wedding yesterday, uh, lunch, you know, just before lunch. And I'm telling you, I, so I met three, four people who used to come to Cornerstone, who were born and saved in Cornerstone spiritually, and who are not, not Christians anymore. They're backslid. And I'm telling you, I'm meeting these people all the time. You know? And I think if you just think about all the Christians, all the backslidden Christians from Cornerstone, there must have been thousands of them. And that's just not Cornerstone. That's every single church down the road. You know, our national statistics shows us that the percentage of Christians in Singapore, in, including the Catholics, are 18%. And for the first time in the history of our nation since 1965, for the last three, four years, this number 18% has not increased. This is the first time in the history of our nation that Christianity is not growing in our country. And you know it's happening on your watch. It's happening on my watch. Because the passion for evangelism is not there anymore. Well, our churches have become so big, we've become so comfortable. I remember when I got born again at 12 years old, two weeks was all I had. Third week, they put me in Orchard Road, Campus Crusade for Christ, to do street witnessing. And every weekend, we, were, we would go out and do street, street evangelism and we would see four or five people coming to salvation. Amen. And I want to encourage us because this is squarely on our responsibility. If you take that 18% in our statistics and then you start tallying up all the major churches in Singapore and how many people, what attendance they are reporting, right? About 50% of that 18% don't go to church. That's a lot of backslidden Christians, assuming that all that 50% are backslidden. And what are we doing? Are our lives orientated in a manner to reach the non-Christians? Are our lives orientated in a manner to reach out to the prodigals that Father God is going after? Yesterday, I was at this wedding. It was just an amazing time. You know, one of the persons who was sitting at the table, they said, hey, Pastor Lip, are you speaking this weekend? I said, I am at Katong. I said, oh, that's great. Whenever we hear you're speaking, it's such a, you know, we're always so happy. I felt good. Wow. Quite popular, and then she said that, yeah, we feel good because you always end on time. (laughs) 
Praise the Lord. In order to keep my popularity going, I'm going to end soon, okay? So worship team, you can come up. But, but there was another girl who was sitting at our table and, you know, I have, you know, um, I've been following her on IG and I cannot remember why I followed her. And for several years now, and every time I see her on my IG, I also wonder, who is this person? And I always felt like there's a touch of God upon her life that God really wants. And then yesterday, I met her first time. And I said, Lord, give me eyes to notice your prodigals who have wandered far away. And she stopped coming to church. You know? And I said, okay, she needs to go into my prayer list. I need to start praying for her. And when God gives me a word for her, I'm going to write to her. This is, this is what God is saying to you. We were with Pastor Dian, Pastor Elijah, we're in the lounge. We're just talking about evangelism. We're just talking about reaching the lost. You, you know, let me say this. There's one reason why Jesus left us here on the earth. Only one reason. The main reason is to reach the lost. You see, Jesus is not coming in two weeks' time on flight SQ428. Let me give you one number, 4281, in case you want to buy 4D. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus is not coming in that way. The only way Jesus shows up in our nation is through you and me. And that's why He gives us this account. It's not about blind Bartimaeus getting healed because it's accepted Jesus opens blind eyes. And if you step out, He'll use you to open blind eyes. It's not about Zacchaeus per se, because Jesus will call and He'll show love. But it's about that framing of what happened between these two events in this locality called Jericho, a place that was one curse, and that curse was broken, and the waters that were bitter became sweet again, because Jesus frames this whole thing to tell us the significance of what He wants us to be. He wants us to be that water that is now sweetness, to the nations and to the people. He's telling us we are in the crowd. The focal points, the crowd, and the crowd's reaction. And to tell us this is what His heart is. And my desire is, Lord, I just want to be a little bit more like You. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. I need to close fast, okay? I've already overrun by four minutes. I'll lose my popularity by four minutes as well. And, you know, I want to I pray for all of us. And I want to encourage you, laugh. Be, have fun. You know, this is not, you know, I, altar calls don't always have to be, <gasps> you know, weeping and crying in front. I think altar calls can be really fun, exciting, festive, and lots of joy because when, who you are at the altar, when you get out to the world, you're going to be so full of the joy of the Lord. People are going to see it. Says, hey, I like that. Right? Because there's enough pain outside. There's enough crying and weeping on the outside. And people are looking for this strength and joy and love. And we got it. I really, I know we got it. Amen. Yeah. And so, yeah, laugh, you do it. But I want to just ask you, if today, and I'm not banging anybody's head here. I'm just asking us, if today you say to the Lord, hey, Lord, you know, I see Bartimaeus, I see Zacchaeus, but I'm in that crowd and I don't really have the same heart that you have. I don't really see the same way you do. And I, I'm praying that all the time because I'm in church every day. And the more you're in church, the more you're going to think like the crowd, unfortunately. Right? And, and, and I'm praying, Lord, just 
tweak the way. Let me see. When I walk out, let me see the laws. Let me see as you do. Let me spot the Zacchaeuses. Let me spot the Bartimaeuses that are out there. Amen? I want to ask us just to bow our heads, close our eyes. If that's you, I want to ask you to lift up your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, that's me. You know, I'm not asking to be zapped. I'm not asking to be wrecked. I'm, not, I'm just asking you, Jesus, to help me see a little better like the way you see. Amen. If that's you, wherever, just lift up your hands to the Lord because I believe, I have faith today. I tell you, I got faith today. That if you respond to God today, you're going to walk out and something's going to change in your eyes and you're going to see very differently. So I got my hands lifted out to the Lord. Father, we lift up our hearts and our hands to you, Lord. And Father, we have a mission. We have a call, Lord. Lord, we, we have something we need to do to reach the loss, oh Lord. And that's what our mission is. That's what we're given to do. Lord, help us to see where our eyes have been blind and we cannot see, Lord. Lord, where we are the most judgmental towards people, Lord. Help open our eyes, Lord, so that we would see with completely different eyes, Lord. Father, I know that you're in that business of changing sight, Lord. I know that you're in that business of making a turnaround even in our lives, oh God. And we just come, we avail ourselves to you, Lord. And we want to be your hands, we want to be your feet, we want to love you with all our hearts, oh God. And Father, I just pray right now that you touch every heart and every person who's had their, who's had their hands lifted up to you, oh God. And Father, we bless you. I bless my brothers and my sisters, Lord. I pray, oh God, that you would give us opportunities this week as we go out to share your love, to share your gospel, to pray for the sick, to, you know, to perform miracles in the name of Jesus, Lord. And Lord, we just love you and I speak your blessings, Lord, over every person, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap after, shall we? listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.